everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. In this episode, I'm talking to Eve Ainsworth about her commercial novel, Duckling. Eve is an award-winning author for children and young adults, but Duckling is Eve's first adult book, and I thought it was only right to have her on the podcast as she's the very person who brought all the 2022 UK debut novelists together. Eve is also an experienced school speaker, creative workshop coordinator, and has a background working for secondary schools in pastoral and child protection roles. In this episode, we discuss writing uplit with grittier themes, writing a child's voice authentically, and transitioning from children's to adult fiction. But first, here's Eve with an excerpt from Duckling. I thought I was alone when I buried the creature, but someone was silently watching my every move. The sun had only just begun to rise, stretching its weak fingers of light across the pokey strip back garden. The air was still sharp with the scent of morning dew, and the grass felt squidgy and damp beneath me as I moved barefooted across the lawn, clutching the bloody ruins close to my chest. I chose a small patch of soil at the rear of the communal lawn, sheltered from public gaze by the overgrown conifer that towered over the space in a jumbled knot of branches and leaves. It was an ideal place to conceal the body. No one would come this far down the garden. Most of the residents chose to lie further up on the yellow patchy grass, spreading their towels and blankets and letting their kids run loose, belting footballs against the low brick wall or climbing the spindly trees that were clinging to life nearest the road. This was a no-man's land, unloved and unkept, the scraggy arse end of the garden that even the stray cats avoided. There were a couple of old beer cans and grey scraps of paper discarded on the ground that I pushed to one side. I dug quickly with an old fork that I'd snatched from the kitchen on my way out. The weak metal was bending uselessly against the solid clay. I held up the wonky tines against the watery light and cursed. Then in frustration, I threw the tool to one side and used my fingers to rake at the ground instead. The result was a scrappy, gappy mouth in the earth, ready and waiting for its offering. I hesitated for a moment, a tremble forming. I laid him carefully in the newly dug earth, my fingers working further to make the space a bit bigger. He looked quite peaceful, if that was possible, snug, Certainly a lot more presentable than when I first found him, splayed out on my kitchen floor, his sorry little eyes blinking up at me in bewilderment. There was a sharp intake of breath behind me. It made me jump back a little bit. I don't know what I was expecting to find there, but certainly wasn't the little girl. She stood there quite squarely, her hands planted on her hips and her teeth chewing on her bottom lip. What are you doing? she asked me accusingly. I was suddenly conscious of how I must look crouching down there in the mud, wearing an oversized Madonna t-shirt and a pair of bright pink holy tracksuit bottoms. I pushed my hand through my scraggly hair and managed to drag dirt in the roots and pulled uselessly on my t-shirt. The little girl was dressed in pyjamas and her long dark hair was loose and messy, sticking up like candy floss around her face. Her cheeks were pink with cold and round and bright like ripe apples. She was wearing shiny green wellies that seemed to be on the large side, it made her feet look strangely fat and not at all fitting with the rest of her skinny frame. I blinked, realising who she must be. Hi Eve, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you join me today to talk about your debut adult novel, Duckling. Oh, thanks, Chloe. Lovely to be with you. So can you start by telling us what Duckling's about? Um, so Duckling's about a woman who, she's quite socially awkward. She's quite shy. She's quite insular and quite lonely 
um, and she is suddenly presented with a young girl. So her neighbour, who's just literally moved in, young neighbour, um, asked um, our main character, Duckling, his name's Lucy, um, if she could look after her little girl just for a little while while she nips out. Um, she promises she won't be long, but she's just absolutely desperate. And Lucy, who's got absolutely no, you know, no interest in young children, no experience, but is ultimately a kind person, agrees to do it. And um, this neighbour doesn't come back. So she is left with this young girl who's quite feisty, quite precocious in a nice way. Um, she's left with this young girl and starts to unravel the mystery of what's happened to this mum. So where has she gone? Can they find her? Is there more to this story? And that's really the, the basic premise. Yeah, and Ruby, the little girl, we will talk about in a bit because she's, like you said, she's a feisty little character and a great character. So where did your idea come from to write Duckling? Well, my idea came in the bath, weirdly. <laughs> I, was, I was laying in the bath. Oh, my, my ideas always come in weird places, but I was laying in the bath and I was just thinking, oh my God, what would have happened if someone had, when I, especially when I was younger, because I'm quite an awkward person anyway, but if someone had asked me to look after a child and then just not come back, what would I have done? If I knew that person was a good person, you know, that they hadn't done it in a bad way or, you know, a neglectful way, what would I have done? What, what would have happened there? Would I have would I have gone to social services or would I? Have, so I was just laying there, kind of unpicking the thing. And as I was doing it, this kind of character came into my head. And weirdly, the word duckling just popped into my mind, this ugly duckling concept. And um, I kind of just went from there, really spiraled from there, of the idea of this awkward, ugly duckling character who has to unpick this mystery of where this single mum has gone. Was it a rubber duck in the bath? Is that where their title came from? No, no. Loads of people have asked me that. I said, you must have been looking at Duckling. I'm like, no, 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 it didn't. But when I was a kid, so I think because I was thinking about myself in the situation, and when I was a young kid, my mum used to sing the Ugly Duckling song to me. I don't know if you know the Ugly Duckling song. I think it's a Disney thing. Um, but she used to sing it to me because I was quite a clumsy, kind of quirky child. Um, so I think it just came from there, that kind of association of, me being quite quirky and awkward and this character that I was creating in my head was quirky and awkward and I just thought of Duckling I thought oh my god that's such a good title that's my title and I'm just going to work around that whole idea. Yeah tell us a little bit more about Lucy then and, and she's given this nickname by her dad so can you tell us a little bit more about her character why the meaning of the title really why is she given this Duckling nickname then? Yeah so Lucy's quite a complex quite a complex woman um you you find out more as the book goes on so I'm not going to give too much away but she's got this she's got this strange relationship with her dad so she she cares for her dad her dad's an ex-alcoholic who lives um in the estate but in another house where Lucy grew up and they've got quite a turbulent relationship so Lucy grew up with him her mum um something happened to her mum when she was younger so her mum's not around anymore um, and her relationship with her dad is really, really turbulent because of what happened when they were younger. Um, but she does care for him and he cares for her. And they've got this kind of strange kind of <laughs> kind of setup going on. Um, and Lucy's dad called, he calls her Duckling all the time. That's his nickname for her, which she doesn't really like. She sees it as a bit of a, an offensive, you know, you don't really see me as anything special or worthwhile. Um, but that's kind of unpicked later on in the book, this whole uh, relationship between them how they see each other but Lucy is definitely um, a character who has 
been used to putting up her walls. She's been used to shutting people out, not letting people get close to her. She's been hurt quite badly in the past. So a lot of her kind of development is about letting people in and um, letting her community in, which was something I felt quite passionate about. And I know we're going to touch on it later, but the whole working class community, I really wanted to, to bring that into the book. Yeah, so let's talk about that because your book is what we might term as an uplift, uplifting story. But I noticed a lot of your reviews are really praising the fact that it's unusual because you centre the story on working class characters. It's not a story of middle class characters. It's, it's like uh, the characters are working class and that's what you champion and you're very much a champion of other working class writers and a proud working class woman yourself. So <laughs> I, I'm guessing it was a conscious decision to make that the centre point of your story. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I don't really uplit, I don't know if it really is an uplit but uplit grit maybe, <laughs> maybe call it. Um, I just see it as being a life, you know, life story, but I want to celebrate the good things about um, life as well as the, the darker side of life as well. And what was important to me in writing this book is writing about working class characters and writing class community that is relevant and realistic and um, is not a trope, is not a stereotype because so much as I was growing up and even now, I watch TV programs, films, I read books where working class characters are represented and they are always kind of like grotesque caricature, you know, caricatures. So they're either criminals or they're, um, you know, drinking or they're behaving in such a sort of feral ways. And I just thought actually, you know, sort of poverty porn, I just get quite sick of it. And actually there's so much to celebrate and be, you know, proud of when you come from a working class background. And that's really what I wanted to get across. Actually, it's about community. It's about friendship. It's about, you know, letting people in. And when I, you know, I think about my nan, you know, the most proudest working class person you could ever meet. And, you know, she would talk about working class is about, you know, everyone helping each other and being there for each other. And that's very much the, the sort of sentiment that I wanted to get across in, in this book, that we can be a community, we can come together. Mm. And you mentioned there that maybe you've got your own genre there, Uplit Grit. And you, certainly, grit, don't, yeah. you, don't, you certainly don't <laughs> shy away from harder topics and darker topics. What was it like for you to kind of handle them against this? Obviously, you wanted to write a story that's full of hope and it's uplifting, but you didn't want to be, you know, twee about it or gloss over everything. So how did you approach writing these darker topics? Um, I think because that's what I, I've done before. I mean, my, my teen books, my YA books are very much darker and, and real, real life books. And um, that's kind of where I naturally steer towards. I like writing about life issues. It's something that I just enjoy. I like watching programs about real life issues, like, you know, the psychology of how people behave like they do. Um, and I don't think you can have light without shade. I think you need to show the dark that goes on in life as well. Yeah, so for me, it's just about the balance. It's about the balance of getting across those darker real life issues that happen but showing that there are happier elements as well to life it's not all about the the bad stuff there's good stuff yeah. as well and hope and ruby we've got to talk about ruby she is such a joy in this book and um i know obviously you've written children's fiction and, and ya um but what is it like to try and write realistic child characters in an adult novel because you don't want, again, it's another thing where you don't want them to be a, a stereotype. You want them to feel authentic. So how did you go about writing Ruby? 
Yeah, I think actually it probably is one of the hardest things I've done. And I've said that, you know, as a children's writer and as a mother. So I have children around me all the time and I work in schools. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by kids, really. Um, but it was one of the hardest parts because I wanted her to be authentic. I wanted her to come across as real on the page. And I know that, again, as a reader, one of the things that frustrates me when you're reading um, children characters is when they do come across as twee or not authentic or, you know, they just don't, you know, you just don't feel them at all. Um, so I did spend more time probably with Ruby than any other characters. And I remember going back and forth with my editor, you know, just making sure that she did sound believable and things that she was doing was believable and it is really just going back to that really basic you know observing again and you know watching how children interact and remembering some of the things that my kids would say how they react to things and mm. um just trying to make it feel as real as possible um but I do I do think writing children is probably one of the more difficult elements of, of adult books definitely. Do you think that that was one aspect of your book that really benefited from kind of lots of editing was there any part of the book where you kind of did a lot of I know you said with the child's voice a lot of back and forth but was that probably the main part of editing that you had to do I think so I think getting those voices right mm. um you know was really important and getting Lucy's voice right as well making sure that she sounded because we didn't want her to fall into a stereotype either of the social awkward we wanted her to have her own voice as well and not so there was a lot of work and, and you know, just making sure that she, that she stood out, that Lucy stood out and that Ruby stood out in their own space. So I think probably this is one of the books where it's very character driven plot anyway, um, but it's very much about making sure those characters really, really stand up on their own. So it probably was a lot of work on the characters more than the rest of it. And we will go and talk about your career, writing career later but I want to talk a little bit more about your process as a writer I know you're an, you're a very prolific writer and I'm very impressed by um, the amount of work that you do are you someone that starts with a character always I know this this novel started with the character but do you ever start with a plot idea how do you, how do your ideas develop normally what's do you are you a planner um it really varies. So my first ever book for um, children's seven days, that was a plot idea. You know, I just had the bully concept where I knew that I wanted to talk about two sides of bullying um, and the characters kind of developed through that, through that mould. Um, my books have really, really varied. Sometimes I get, you know, I just sit in there and a plot idea will come to my head and I think, oh, I really want to explore that. But if I was pushed, I would say that I probably am more led by character. I think the characters do pop up and I've been known to be writing a book and <laughs> I'll be writing away and then this character pops up in my head and I'll be thinking, okay, that's going to be another character for another book. And they get really annoying because obviously they want to be in the book that I'm writing and they're not going to work. And so that can be really, really frustrating. But, you know, it has varied. I do get plot ideas as well where I think, okay, I really want to write about this and, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, I am not a planner. <laughs> but I'm trying to be I'm trying to be a bit more because um my first few books I just totally just did it on the seat of my pants really and just wrote as I could and Duckling was written without a plan um 
but I did a historical series um, for UCLan, the Dick Kerr Girls. And because that was based on fact and history, I had to really go through and make sure that it was following a structure. So it was the first time really I'd worked to a sort of plan, a chapter plan, had an idea of where I was going. And actually I found it quite useful and it made me think, okay, there is something in this plan and I can see why people do it. Um, my brain doesn't naturally go that way mm. but I am trying desperately to retrain it into thinking okay if you can just plan a little bit it does help shape the book a little bit more it stops me going off on a wild goose chase and ends <laughs> up with a really messy draft but do you think I, you might plan your next adult book or maybe not? um I'm kind of drafting one at the moment it is a little bit planned mm. um but I'm never going to be one of these people that have got these wonderful charts and post-it <laughs> notes everywhere. And I wish I could. I really do. I wish I could be like that. But I just get frustrated and I just want to write and I end up just tying myself up. But I think I'm going to be a hybrid. I'm going to be a hybrid. I'm going to be a tiny bit of planner, but mainly, mainly pants. And what about your writing routine? Do you have one? Are you someone that kind of writes in short bursts? Do you write before work? What's your routine like? I tend to, I mean, I've, I've had a little bit of a period where I've not been writing as much, but that's mainly due to just ill health. But um, my, my tendency is to try and write a thousand words. So I'm, t- I'm very much word driven um, and I try to do it in a burst. So I try and make myself sit and write, <laughs> which is probably winds up with a blood clot in my leg because I didn't move because I just literally sit and write and make myself. So now I've got to make sure I move around a bit more. Um, rather than just chaining myself to the desk, which isn't healthy. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm more trying to get the word count. That's how I tend to do it. So I think, right, mm-hmm. if I get to this number, then I'm happy and then I'll do the next number next time. And that motivates me. And I tend to work better in the morning. Um, when I'm working, I tend to, if I've got a job as well, I tend to, sometimes I've got two projects on the go. So I might write one book first thing and I might just do a bit of work on the second book in the evening just so I can break away from the two ideas um or it might be that I do one idea work on one book in the week and then work on the other thing in the weekend but I have to split them because otherwise I'll just get confused yeah your brain must uh have a real workout when you're switching between projects (laughs) yeah I do get tired Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So you obviously had an amazing career before this writing children's fiction young adult fiction obviously Duckling's your first adult novel so what was it like to make that transition and kind of what kind of conversations did you have with your agent when you said to them I want to start writing for adults um it was it was a tricky one because I was with um, one agent for my children's books and um, I knew for a while that I wanted to write adult it was the way that I wanted to go I mean I started off writing adult you know when I first I mean I've been writing for as long as I can remember but when I was first subbing books out and this is we're talking 10 years ago or whatever um or more than that god I'm so old um we won't put the years down <laughs> when I was first subbing books out um they were what are now domestic thrillers um and I was sending those out and I was told there was no market for them so look about me missing the boat completely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I so I started writing adults. That's where I started. And then it was pure by chance, really, that I contacted an agent with an adult idea that was a comedy. And I sent them the, the whole book and they read it and they liked it. But they came back to me and said, um, you've got quite a young voice. You sound, when you're writing, you sound quite young. And I think you'd actually really suit YA, which is really big at the moment. It's really booming. Maybe you want to have a look at writing YA. Um, so it was actually their advice that led me down the, the path of trying a YA story. And it came at the same time that I was working or applying to work at a school. So the timing was really good because I was working with teenagers anyway. And this bullying book came up and it was just, you know, it just all fed in for me. It was fate. Um, so I kind of always knew that I'd go back to write an adult book at some point so the agent I had for children um didn't want to represent adults because sometimes they don't they don't do both mm. so I looked around for an adult agent to represent my um adult book so it was like I was starting again really um yeah. so in some ways it was quite exciting because I felt like I really did feel like a new author getting mm. a new agent did you have to do all the querying and stuff again? Yeah, all of that, all from the beginning. Mm. And it was, you know, it, it reminded you of how hard the process is and, you know, how tricky it is. It's no easier when you've got a record. They're still just as tough on you and you get just as many rejections. The publishing industry is, is hard at the moment. Um, and uh, I got, yeah, I got an agent, um, but I had to do a lot of work on the book. And this is all around COVID, so this is all when lockdown was on. So luckily I had a bit of time to fiddle around with the book and change it about and um, do quite a bit of stuff on it and yeah then we sent it off and, and Penguin liked it luckily for me um so yeah it wasn't it wasn't as if I'd had sort of like a conversation really it was like it was always in my mind that it's I wanted to do a new start really for you yeah and what made you then think 
I'm, you know, you once you said you started writing adult fiction, then you moved to YA and children's. What made you then decide to think you wanted to go back to writing adult fiction? Um, well, like I say, it never went. You know, I always knew that I was going to do adults at some point. Um, but it was just a question of when, really, because I was writing quite a lot of books for YA. Um, you know, I had contracts signed up. I was working full time, two young children. You know, so really for me, it was just timing. It was like, when mm. am I going to get this in? Um, and I had ideas for adult books. So I'd be scrolling things down and I'd be starting things. But like a lot of people, I'd start things and it wouldn't go anywhere. And I've got lots of like half finished, <laughs> half finished ideas in the drawer. Um, I just think it purely was that Duckling was the first one that really kind of grabbed me and made me think, I really do want to finish this one. This is the one that I want to finish. And it came at a time when, you know, things were slowing down. You know, we've just gone into the first batch of COVID mm. and my kids were older, so I had a bit more time. So I could dedicate a bit more time to it and still be doing my children's stuff. So I think it's just timing really more than anything. Yeah, I hear that from a lot of writers that sometimes getting an agent, having the right idea. I mean, like you said, you were writing domestic noir psychological thrillers that at the time weren't popular <laughs> and then a few years down the line they, they've become this huge genre um, and like you say it's so much about um, timing and luck really as well. It really but is. I read this amazing um, story that you wrote a story when you were about seven or eight and sent it off to Penguin when you were a child um, so I'm guessing from that that your love of writing began pretty much from day one so it how really did you did. go from writing as a child to then pursuing it as a career? Because I suppose for a lot of people, they would feel that it's really hard to pursue it as a as a career. It is. I mean, I, I don't remember not wanting to be a writer. I used to be out in my back garden as a young girl talking to myself. And that would be, I wasn't actually talking to myself. I was telling stories because no one wanted to hear my stories. <laughs> <It was laughs> And I was too young to write them down. So I would just talk them out loud all the time. Because I constantly, and I still have, all these ideas in my head and they needed to go somewhere. So I was always storytelling. And um, when I was, you know, quite young, seven or eight, my brother got me this battered old typewriter that he found somewhere. It was awful. It didn't work properly. And I, I managed to type out this story, Muddles and Mouse, and sent it off to Penguin because it was the only publisher I knew. I mean... I think I looked up like publishers on the back of books and mm. I think I actually sent it off as well to the Mr. Men publisher as well, but that wasn't, they only published Mr. Men, so they weren't going <laughs> to publish mine. And I just got this lovely box and letter back from Penguin with books in it and a lovely letter saying That's that they'd so taken nice. my, yeah, it was really nice. And they, mm. they'd taken my um, story to a meeting, which I didn't know then it was a really big deal. I just thought, oh, I, they don't want my book and had a bit of a sulk. Um, but I, at the time, I was really competitive because there was a, an author. Oh, God, I can't remember her name now, but she did the Munchbug the Kid. Um, not the Munchbug, the Garden Gang. Mm. She did the Garden Gang books. And anybody who's my age-ish will know that there's this huge like competition to be her because she got published at such a young age. And all us wannabe writers wanted to beat her. And I was seven, eight, and I thought, right, I'm going to be the youngest ever author. I'll get in the papers. <laughs> it didn't happen. And I carried on writing, carried on writing. I'd always be writing at school. I'd be in the library writing. I'd be trying to do my own point horrors or my own um, takes on the babysitter clubs or whatever was popular at the time. Um, went to university to continue to write. I think I always had this niggling doubt that I wouldn't be able to get published. So, and that came from my background, from my working class background. Mm -hmm. 
because so many people said to me it wouldn't happen you know teachers um, careers professionals my own dad you know working you know, our background we just don't it doesn't happen you know you've got to have a contact you've got to know people what do I need to work in publishing but I didn't want to work in publishing so I felt quite I felt quite restricted I felt quite scared that it wasn't going to happen but another part of me which is another working class trait is that we've got quite a bit of grit I didn't want to give up so I just, you know, I just carried on. I just wrote and I just sent out to lots and lots of agents. And one thing that my agent said actually when she took me on my first agent was that when she finally did sign me, she'd already rejected, I think, two or three of my previous works. But because she recognised my name on the pile, on the slush pile, she recognised my name, she plucked it off straight away off her assistant's table. She said, oh, I'll read this one because I recognise it. Because she knew that she liked my writing, but the other books hadn't been quite close. Mm. So I think, you know, it's just a reminder, really, that you never know how close you are with agents. Even if you do get rejected, they might remember you for a future book or a future. Again, it's all timing. You know, it really yeah. is. You just don't know when you might be plucked off. So I think it is hard. It is tricky to get published. But I do believe if you're good enough, you will get picked up. And I think as well, that must have shown her how resilient you were as well. And yeah. I think that's that's hard, the hardest part of being a writer is carrying on going when when you feel rejected and you've had rejections. So she must have seen your name and thought, OK, this this woman's not willing <laughs> to give up. So, you know, I'll give her a, I'll give her a shot. Yeah, because otherwise she's just going to keep on. <laughs> <Get my dawn. laughs> yeah. So you've mentioned there about how your background put you off in a way or made you feel that you weren't going to be welcome or you weren't going to be able to become a published author. And I, I know the topic has been raised quite recently, obviously, with um, the kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, the what happened at the Booker with the, mm. um, and I know you tweeted about it at the time. Do you think that the industry is getting better or do you think that there's still a long way to go? How do you think that they could improve and be more inclusive? I think that there's there's been improvements um but I do think they've still got a long way to go sadly I think that you know there's there's a lot of talk you know there's a lot of talk out there about we are inclusive we are you know we want a diverse workplace we want diverse authors but I don't think there's enough deep thinking about what that actually means and what that entails and sadly the publishing world is so white working um, working class white middle class you know it really is and you know you're dealing with people even you know they're the loveliest of people, but they haven't got that life experience that I think is really, really needed. So when they're working with authors, they can appreciate what they're coming back with and what they've experienced and what they're going through. And, and that goes right to the top. Um, and you just don't see it. You go to the publishing dues, you go to publishing events, and you know, you really do feel like you stand out if you're anything different, if you are working class or if you are from a diverse background, or you know, if you've got any kind of disability or any, you just stand out like, like a mm. sore thumb. Um, and it just needs to be addressed more because I just think the world of books suffers because we're not, you know, we're not embracing this wonderful, you know, bubble of opportunities that are out there with people that are out there. Um, yeah, I, ju I just feel sad about it, really, at the moment. And I think that there's a lot of lip service um, and certain get books get published, but there's no sort of like, how can we ensure that we continue this? How do we continue to develop really good authors that can be a voice for this industry how can we ensure that we are encouraging people to want to get a job in publishing because it's so expensive 
for mm. most people to go and work in. And I know there are some publishing houses outside of London, which is great. And that's one of the, the changes that have been a positive thing. But actually to get your foot in the door in publishing is so tricky. And I still hear people say, you know, you need a contact or you need, you know, a route through to get in there. And these are the things that frustrate me, really. Mm. So what advice would you give to anyone that was feeling how you felt, where you felt like your background was something that was stopping you or you felt like you couldn't make that transition into a published author? What advice would you give to anyone feeling like that? Just be a bastard. I'm sorry to say that, but you really really have to. You know, you just have to keep on. You have to keep on fighting because if we all just sat back and went, oh, well, that's the situation and we're not going to do anything about it, nothing's going to change. So you really do have to be that one that's, you know, up complaining, you know, not even complaining, but just, you know, making the point that things still aren't right. You have to be the one that keeps on sending your work out and knocking on the door and asking for those opportunities. And be quite relentless about it and don't be don't let it affect you as much as you can it's hard because imposter syndrome is real and it is harder for people from certain backgrounds there's no doubt about that but I think that you just have to almost wear that mask that's what I tend to do I almost feel like I put a mask on and I you know I tend to act like I'm brave and loud and proud when inside I'm thinking oh my god I don't belong here (laughs) these aren't my people but I think that the more that we are shouting and we're trying to you know encourage change then the more of us there will be and you know with the great thing about the writing community is it's so supportive and it's so embracive and it is inclusive so you know once you're part of that there will be other writers to lift you and to to launch you up there so I think that's another really positive thing as well yeah and you're definitely part of that Eve because you brought together all the 2022 debuts and other writing groups that you um help manage and stuff and that is a huge part of um the enjoyment of of writing (laughs) that community around you so before we move on to my last questions tell us a little bit about your young adult and children's fiction so that if people have young people in their life or they like to read YA can you tell us what you've written or where we can find out about the books that you've written yeah of course so I've written quite a range so I've written some YA books for um Scholastic and they are sort of real life gritty contemporary books um that focus on things that a lot of young people experience that's mainly when I was working in the schools so um you've got seven days which is about bullying you've got crush which is about toxic um, relationships controlling relationships damage which is about mental health and self-harm um then you've got tender which is about young carers and then magpie and loss which are kind of linked because they're about the same characters but um, Lost is about a boy who loses his mum. So it's about grief and boys dealing with grief, how boys cope with, with you know, just being sad, really. And um, Magpie is about a girl who's moved into the area, um, who's got a domestic, there's domestic violence background. Um, and she is struggling. She's just struggling to readjust to her new life. And there's, there's a lot of talk about poverty as well in that one, you know, struggling with not a lot of money um so they're they're issue they're very it sounds like they're quite heavy but they're not there's lots of positive in there like I was talking about before that light and light and shade so there's a lot about friendship and hope and how you can turn things around so there's quite um quite a lot of hope in them and a lot of young people enjoy them because they reflect the lives that they've been living or lives of people that they know 
And then I've written some books for Barrington Stoke, um, which are similar ilk because of you, um, is about bullying again, about cyber, more cyber bullying actually, or Lyme bullying. So that's quite a, a tricky one in schools, I know. Um, know My Place is about foster care, so the girl that's going into foster care. Um, and because of you, um, oh no, I've mentioned because of you, sorry, I'm going, <laughs> going around the bend here. And um, All to Play For, which came out this year with Barrington Stoke, is about football. So that's another thing that I kind of specialise in is, is football books because it's kind of part of my life. My boy plays football a lot. And, you know, I just live and breathe it, really. Um, and I'm a big football fan. So All to Play For is about a young boy playing football, but he is poor. And actually being um, somebody who's not got a lot of money, football is really tricky because it's a very expensive sport. So it's kind of a talk about that, about how, you know, how hard it can be if you haven't got a lot of money, but you're a talented um, sports person. Um, and then I've done the Dick Kerr series for you, Clan, which is about the Dick Kerr girls. Um, which is a real-life um, historical but a fictionalised account of the first ever female football team in the First World War. It's amazing that those girls were absolutely out of this world. So if you want to know about, you know, feminism, girl power, girls doing well, you know, those are really good books to read. And um, I will be having a book coming out at the end of this year, which is a non-fiction account of the Lionesses. So that will be coming out with um, Hache later this year. Brilliant. I mean, just hearing you talk there, Eve, I'm just in awe of you. <laughs> your uh, your writing skill, your writing talent, the range of books that you've written as well. So I wondered now whether you could tell us if there's one thing that you wish you'd known about writing, about being an author, way back when, maybe when you were seven years old, what would be the one thing that you would go and tell yourself back in the past? I think probably the main one I would be is not to compare because I think I did that too much in the early days and I think it's so hard especially when you're starting out um, and you're seeing all these books doing well or authors doing well or, or what you perceive to be people doing well um, and you feel yourself like you're not doing enough and it can really eat on your self-confidence and your self-esteem and make you feel worried about things and actually it's it's so important to remember that everyone's journey is different and everyone's journey is individual. So I always like it to a motorway. You know, some of us are driving around in our little sports cars. Some of us are roaring down the motorway going really fast. And some of us are little poodly, little old battered bangers. But we're still getting there. You know, we'll still get there eventually. But it just takes a little bit longer. And I think the key thing is to enjoy the journey, you know, not to, not to be worrying about the cars speeding past you, but just to take in the sights around you and enjoy the moment. Because I think it's so easy not to celebrate the small things um, and just keep worrying that you're not doing enough and enough's not happening. So, yeah, I think I'd just say to, to old me, you know, just enjoy the successes that you get and try yeah. not to worry about stuff that you can't control. Definitely. That's, that's lovely advice. So you've already briefly touched on it already, but I was wondering finally if you could tell us a little bit about what you're working on next, your new adult novel. Give us a little tease. Yeah, of course. So um, it's not, it's, it's just something I'm working on for fun, really. I've not got a contract for another adult book, but I'm writing a um, book set in the 1920s because uh, I do like historical and I enjoyed it when I was doing the Dick Herbert. Um, so this is a 1920s book that is kind of crimey, kind of mystery, um, with a very feminist um, main character. Um, but very dark East End, so it's very much a working class book. Um, <laughs> 
but I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying writing that one book that I'm writing at the moment. And I'm writing another Barrington Stoke book, which is, again, a football book, which is about a young girl with anxiety um, who joins the football team to kind of build her self-esteem. So it's about the power of sport, really. Brilliant. And I'm sure the next bath you have will be filled with about 500 new ideas, Eve. So <laughs> forward to reading all those upcoming books. I need to get in the bath now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Eve. Oh, thanks for having me, Chloe. It's been great. That was Eve Ainsworth talking about her commercial novel, Duckling, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop, hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. <laughs>